Okay, guys, I'm recording now. Ryan, speaking of nuts, what do you have in your mouth? <laughs> I don't know, but he's suffocating. Thomas, what what uh, what are you? What were you gonna say? Oh, something about Ryan's beard. It's coming in nicely. You're coming in nicely. Oh, <laughs> that's what your mom said. What? What, what uh, do we want to talk about on on Sunday? <laughs> that's a good question. Uh, are we going to talk about anything that's, in that's, particular? Oh, that's so far from now. I don't think we have to worry about it. What are you? Is that, is that a nightstick? Like one? Of yeah, those? it looked like a nightstick. No, it's a selfie stick. <laughs> You're really proud of yourself for having a selfie stick. I realized that I haven't had a prop in a while, so. Have you used it? Did you take any selfies? So many. I haven't seen them on Instagram. He saves them for Grinder. Now the story of an eclectic fan base who lost touch with reality and the one podcast that somehow holds them all together. It's the Substandard Expanded Universe. Welcome to the SSEU podcast, your escape from reality. On this podcast, we attempt to bring some humor to everything that is going on in the world. We can promise you two things. We are not going to talk about the coronavirus. We are not going to talk about the protests. We are just going to have a lot of fun on this episode. We are going to have a very Liverpool-focused episode, which I understand that everyone is excited about. Honestly, I think that Go this Manchester episode, United. I think that this episode is going to be a riot. I swam in a Liverpool before. It's gross. <laughs> Did you know that one of the one of the meals, one of the dishes that I have had to eat since I come home is what we in Sweden call a liver cake. And nope. it is nope. delicious. I don't think so. I don't think so. It's so great. It's no, so great. Yeah. Liver cake. Isn't a liver cake. So I, I don't actually know what's in the liver cake i actually Good. suspect that in the liver cake there isn't any liver it's just like beef and a bunch of other stuff you know like sort of like they make sausages like in sausage is like the leftover stuff whatever and then they serve it and people eat it and all, but anyway it as we know all the best it. foods are <laughs> foods in which you have no idea what's in there yeah well no, why is like, it why is it called a cake like well, so they, they like, sweep out the bottom of the butcher shop. So I wouldn't eat then, a sausage cake. I don't think. Are you sure? Like I've never seen such a thing, but I think I would try it. What a banger cake! Mm. But but so banger so in the mouth cake. So it's a liver cake, and you scoop it up and put it on your plate, and you serve it together with boiled potatoes and lingonberry jam, and <laughs> it is terrific. Oh, okay. and maybe some brown sauce. A brown sauce. Yeah. All right. Well, then brown sauce. You convinced me. <laughs> all right. Well, anyway. All right. So. Thomas? Uh, yes, what makes the sauce? What makes the sauce brown? Transition. So one of the things that have been really popular in Swedish media during the coronavirus pandemic is the fact that. So I, I don't. You just I, said we weren't going to talk about that. It's, a, it's like it's related, but not. High school students in Sweden are always really excited about graduating from high school. They haven't been able to do their usual like graduation ceremonies because of the corona pandemic. Graduating from high school, turning 18 that year, that's like the hallmark of becoming an adult. Is it the same in the US? Like is graduating high school actually a big deal? 
because I, I look at these kids who are graduating high school and I'm like, well, you're probably going to go to college. And it's probably going to be another four or five years, depending on how many times you fail a class. And so, like, yeah, uh, yeah. no, I would say it's the same it's, thing. It's because It's a big deal, yeah. Because graduating isn't a huge accomplishment. I mean, the whole, I mean, we've, we've all, like, looked left and right at our graduation ceremonies and been like, I can't believe these, like, they're awarding a <laughs> diploma to this person, right? Uh, it's not that big of an accomplishment. It's not that hard to do. Um, uh, and yet it's, it's the most significant graduation. Right. That, that we, you know, like doctoral graduations, although they are much di- more difficult, are not heralded, no. celebrated the same way. Yeah. Because it's, it's a rite of passage is that, yes, you become an adult and, and um, some go to college, um, others uh, go into the workforce. But yeah, it's it's big, big uh, kind of celebration of, of uh, kind of, I mean, it's, it's not explicitly stated, but yeah, it's becoming an adult. Yeah, no, it's just, it's just weird to me because it's like, you're 18. Most of you yeah. are still going to go to school. You're still not an adult, but it's like, yeah, let's celebrate. Whatever. Oh, okay, Thomas, I'll tell it's you not what. Like, it's, it's not like high school is hard to get through. That's, that's exactly what I'm trying to say. It's not an accomplishment, really at all. Like, I, I know people who uh, did everything they could to not graduate and somehow, <laughs> like, through some sort of fraud we're able to receive a diploma. It's, it's almost absurd. It's, it kind of makes it into a farce. School is going to pump up those numbers. Yeah. Well, the, you don't want them to come back. <laughs> like, do, do you really want to spend another year with some of these folks? No. Uh, but but um, what's even more ridiculous, Thomas, is um, how many more graduations have been added to a child's life? Uh, Ryan, uh, I'm curious to hear your insight on this, but, um, oh my gosh. but, uh, at the end of every preschool year, there's a graduation ceremony. So when you're three years old, you graduate and there's you wear a-, a cap and gown and you graduate to the next level of preschool. And then you graduate to the next level of preschool and then you graduate to kindergarten and then you graduate then kinder- <laughs> kindergarten and, uh, I think- and then fifth grade, there's <laughs> a graduation. Like they had a parade for fifth graders uh, this year for for Jonah's uh, class, which I was like, I I didn't know that fifth grade like graduation <laughs> parades were a thing before that. So did they do cap and gown? Yeah, yeah, they yeah. do it every uh, from preschool kindergarten on. Yeah, always. Not not realizing that this dim- diminishes the significance of of every single subsequent graduation. If you do it every year, it's not that big of a deal. And I mean, no, this take, is just the result a, of a society. They take a that, break from first grade to fourth grade. They get a graduation break. And then fifth grade, it starts up again. Because then they're going to have another one at eighth grade. Eighth grade, yeah. Yep. And, so, and so this this is the result of a society that, that gives participation trophies. Through what grades is it mandatory to go to school in the U.S.? I actually don't know this. I think, I think it depends on the age. state. Yeah. And yeah, I think it's usually an age. I think it's like fifteen or sixteen. Okay, yeah, in, in, Sweden, in some states, like, but but it's eighteen for others, you know, because they they you know they care about education. So, okay, yeah, in, in Sweden it's sixteen. Like you are, it's obligatory, mandated that you go to school until you're sixteen years old, and then then the government doesn't care anymore. The truancy officers leave you alone after that. <laughs> <laughs> Kamala won't uh, send you to jail for truancy. <laughs> I know what Ryan. you need to graduate. You need a year in prison. <laughs> <laughs> so, Ryan, uh, one of the things that I would like you to talk more about is your neighbors. 
I have found out a lot about my neighbors in the <laughs> last uh, few months. Um, uh, not because I've actually gone out and spoken to any of them. I would never do that. Right. Uh, Question. Is this, mm-hmm. is this just out of sheer curiosity or are, are you on, on another quest to make more friends? I'm always on a quest to make more friends. Uh, as we've talked about, um, I have trouble making friends. Uh, Help you carry love seats through the. Yeah, that would be if I just had one person to uh, help me carry a love seat out of the house. I would be. Uh, I'd be. You'd still have five fingers. I, I'd on still that have one five hand. fingers. Yeah. yeah, five or six years ago, I, I I guess I signed up for the Nextdoor app, and with the Nextdoor application, you have to you have to send in some kind of bill or something you know verifying that you live in the neighborhood that you're claiming so, so you, you sent in. in your sewer bill right yes yeah, red, bu- red red I, bill? I, <laughs> <laughs> I sent in a sewer bill along with a sample of the sewer oh, uh, all right so so see this is this is why i could never join something like next door because i would be very hesitant about sending someone my bill for anything like it just it just feels apparently i wasn't because uh i'm i'm verified for my neighborhood and so uh during this uh lockdown i decided to re-download the next door app and just find out what people near me were doing and i'm convinced that all of the posts on next door are just jokes do you have any Uh, examples Sure. Um, here's a quick one. Uh, ISO, which I found out in search of. In search mm. of new or gently used toilet seat. <laughs> <laughs> they wanted, They didn't want to buy a new one. And so, you know, if you've dumped on it a well, few times, would, they'll, they'll take it. Where would you even go to buy a new one? I mean, I'd imagine they're hard to find. So, <laughs> and, of course, you're going to... There aren't use, any stores. Use social media. Use, use social media to find one, yeah. And here's two posts within two hours of each other. Um, the first one from, I won't read their last names, but I'll say their first names. Tanner posts the subject found colon dog lake. If anyone <laughs> is, if anyone has a three legged dog, I found a single dog leg near the basketball court at Balcones park leg appears to be in good shape and undamaged. <laughs> Two hours later, missing three-legged chocolate Labrador <laughs> from Nelson. So I'm thinking these two need to get together. And You've got a whole dog. Let's see the legs. I did reply to uh, Tanner in terms of the, uh, the missing dog leg. And unfortunately, I've seen a lot of this. And I, and I told him as much. And I said, you know, I'm, I'm always finding these um, limbs from pets on basketball courts. And you know what it is? It's these, <laughs> these competitive streetball players who are just bored with playing for money. And now what they're gambling on is, is limbs of their pets now to where, you know, they play and then the losing team has to bring in one of their pets and the winning team gets to chop it off at center court. And the thing is like, that's fine. Go ahead and do that. But why do they have to leave it on the basketball court? That's what bothers me. I can't tell you how many times I've taken my kids to play basketball and had to clear off a mess of, you know, uh, bloody animal legs uh, before they can play. This I mean, might if, it, be if a it's Texas a trophy, thing, if it's your trophy for winning, isn't it something you want to hang on to? 
I would think, but they're always leaving them. They just, I, I guess maybe, you know, uh, maybe they take some of the, some of the tendons home and cook them. I don't know what they do with it. I'm not. Make some, uh, make some. Uh, and uh, there are, there are other times when I'm able to help people out. Um, uh, Nancy posted, um, the subject was puppy daddy. Um, uh, small, adorable Shih Tzu looking for a baby daddy. And obviously, I'm thinking she's speaking euphemism. So I replied, "Pretty sure you can find what you're looking through for through the secret door at any red box." Uh, <laughs> you know, you're looking for a puppy daddy. You can just go to a red box and find them. That's something that's always either there's people always complaining about loud noises. Like that's a, a common um, a common posting subject is, "Did anyone hear that noise?" And then they'll post any it's like oh i heard a i heard a boom or i heard street racing noise street racing noise is a big one near me people are really angry about street racing is it actually street racing i don't it think it's street traffic racing. i think it's just <laughs> traffic i think like people it's probably people that have lived in the area since you know when this was just country roads and they were hardly any traffic and we're basically you know uh some of the roads they're talking about are as busy as a highway and so i i don't think there's any street racing going on i think it's mostly normal traffic am, am i hearing fireworks <laughs> <laughs> well was um, that post on the no it's not been the fourth of july yet i'm sorry go on um, no, no, it it wasn't. It was it was posted uh, just a few days ago. Are, uh, are you going to get to the maggots? Because I really like this one. Oh, uh, the compost one. Um, <laughs> let me find that one. There it is. Okay, so uh, Lilia uh, posted subject maggots in my compost recycling bin. This morning, when I went to throw food waste in my compost recycling bin, and to my disgust, I found it full of maggots. Do you guys think it's a good idea to continue recycling compost with the humidity we've been having and will have when the summer comes? And I got to tell you, this, this frightened me and shocked me, the fact that if you just leave food in a bin sitting outside, that that will bring... Uh, like, are you telling me that rotting old food <laughs> left for days and weeks will bring maggots on when did what this start she, happening what does she think would happen to it since when did wait 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 since when did organic matter decompose i don't know like i, I thought that was the point and maybe maybe the rats that have been spotted in your neighborhood can take care of that you don't have uh, rats in your neighborhood Ryan, do you have any any other next door stories? Do you so let me ask you this question. Do you recommend next door to everyone? Should people get on this? Oh yeah, I definitely recommend it. I, it's a good time because I, I don't think anybody is posting anything serious. I think every post is if you assume every post is a joke, then it's a it's it's a lot of fun. So everyone I've got, I've got more that I'll I'll we'll do next time. Okay, everyone, uh, be on brand. Send in your sewer bill to next door and join the most popular performance art social media network. Transition. So, uh, Chris, what have you been up to this past week? So this week, my kids went to uh, some, their summer daycare. So this, this is the uh, starting Monday were the first precious moments that I've had 
to work without a house filled with children. You know, ever since March 15th or whatever the date was when school (laughs) was ended, they've been with me around the clock and I've been expected to work full time and somehow take care of a six-year-old and a nine-year-old. And that's very difficult. And it actually (laughs) grieves me a great deal that, uh, that I probably, uh, that I know, not probably, I know I wasn't a, a great parent in the last, uh, certainly in the last few weeks. So, Did you ever really... find out who peed in the tent? Never got to the bottom of that, Thomas. Never got to the bottom of that. But, uh, but what's great is they come home, I pick, or I pick them up, and I'm happy to see them. <laughs> and we have fun together. And, and, I, and I, it's, it's so weird how much time it seems like I have when, when it's just me able to work. It's amazing. Everyone should try it. This idea of working without parenting at the same time, it's, it's, it's amazing how if much more efficient Wait, you can be. People do that? I've never done that. Never in my life. I've heard it's a I thing. I don't remember more than three months ago, but I don't think that I've ever done that before. Uh, update, we got a trampoline. Are they loving it? They are loving it. They are. They spend so much time on that uh, during the days leading up to uh, summer daycare. Uh, they would be on it uh, hours, hours. I mean, so they'd be jump. There's only so much jumping you can do before you get tired. But they would just. Uh, they haven't peed on it yet. Uh, they haven't set up a bucket, but like they would set up a fort and blankets and. Uh, I mean, it, it's just a a, a hangout. Uh, the the bad news is, uh, is it. Uh, Holy cow. Like it, uh, first of all, like I shared, these were not available new. You cannot, you cannot purchase a new trampoline. Nobody has them in stock. Uh, but, uh, it wasn't done next door. I guess it was on Facebook marketplace. Someone spotted one, but it's a seller's market. So we got a used one for like 95% of the purchase price. Uh, and it's four years old. So, uh, not much depreciation on this bad boy. Uh, and the seller knew that. And we went over there to, uh, to take it apart. Uh, and this is a spring-free one. Uh, and we watched a video on how to take it apart. Said it's going to take about two hours to take apart, put her in a van. About 20 minutes in, we were so confident. We're like, this is so easy. Like, this is not going to take us two hours. An hour later, we're like, my wife looks at me. And she's like, should we call it an SOS? As in uh, my soft, soft hands were blistered up and things that had been together for four years that were supposed to be able to come apart were not coming apart. It was a debacle and a disaster of epic. We were discouraged. The people you bought this from, they didn't take it apart for you when you bought it. The deal is you pay a small fortune to come to our house and take it apart and take it home with you. Okay, yeah. See, this is how much I love my kids, Thomas. How long did it take you to take it apart and how long did it take you to put it together? It took two hours to take it apart. Uh, putting it together was probably, well, it would have taken infinite, infinity hours. <laughs> I, I took, I'd call in a real man to help me. Uh, so <laughs> we brought it home and wanted to use the Captain momentum. Dwyer? We probably spent 45 minutes kind of putting it back together uh, that night. And then it started to rain and we were, we were just tired. And the next day, uh, we, we uh, put in another hour before we just ran into uh, an irresistible force, uh, 
meeting an immovable object. I mean, literally, we could not uh, put these. So it's not doesn't have springs. It has these rods that go in these parts of the of uh, the rods provide the spring, and, and so they have to go in these pockets. But you have to like stretch uh, the 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 whatever the pad is that you jump on to get the rod in the pocket. And it was just not happening with my soft, soft blistered hands and my sore muscles. And, and uh, I had a friend come over who was going to help me install this electric. He's an electrician, this light fixture. And he went outside in 20 minutes. He had the rest of it put together. So transition to greatness. Uh, Ryan, I believe that you have a movie quote. Yes, I do. And uh, this is from, a popular franchise, one of the, and it's one of the best uh, films in the franchise. Let me get, let me get to it real quick. Let me get back there. <clears throat> hey, you guys want to see the Rise of Skywalker? Just, just watch his, watch his rope. Hey, Luke, remember what Leia, your sister, was wearing when she was Jabba's sex slave? Whoa, whoa, buddy. Take it easy. Your lightsaber from underneath your robe is pointing right at me. If you would have hit the button, I would be dead right now. And I would never die that way by somebody pointing a lightsaber at me and hitting the button. And that was uh, Han Solo from The Rise of Skywalker. Is that a lightsaber? Are you happy to see me? <laughs> I'm going to start using that. Um, All right, guys. Uh, Ryan has been out there... Uh, working really hard to get advertisers and we finally have one. This show doesn't pay for itself. Just like Luke. Why are you blaming Ryan? I'm not blaming Ryan. I'm giving him credit. He brought in an advertiser. Working okay. hard. Working hard just like Luke. Gentlemen, don't you hate how if you want to know what's on TV, whether you have cable or satellite TV or even a streaming service like Sling or YouTube TV, don't you hate that you have to actually turn on your TV just to find out what's on? Ridiculous. It's 7 p.m. It's 7 p.m. on a Tuesday, and you wonder which classic college football game is on ESPN. Is it something great like the Miracle at Michigan in which the University of Colorado Buffaloes won on a last-second heave by quarterback Cordell Stewart, scoring their second touchdown in the last two minutes? Or is it a game that's something lame like the 2011 Big 12 championship, just to pick a random one? You don't know until you actually turn on your TV and pull up the guide, right? I'm not sure that's true. <laughs> like a farmer. Well, there is a new service for you. You've heard of Lignum, the revolutionary service that you can subscribe to, which prints your emails and mails them to you. Well, now there is a service that will print your guide showing you what's on TV, and it will mail this guide right to your house. That's right. TV list things right in your mailbox. I it's, can't wait to find out what this is called. It's as easy as calling 1-800-547-2323. That's 1-800-547-2323 extension 4231 let me give you that to you one more time 1-800-547-2323 extension 4231 call today between 9 and 5 mountain time for a free two-week trial of this revolutionary new service well actually it says here don't call over the lunch hour so call 1-800-547-2323 extension 4231 between 9 and 5 mountain time on weekdays but not between noon and one. And mention the coupon code FINLAND. 
for a two-week trial of this new service called the Guide for TV <laughs> Listings on Paper mailed oh. to you. That's a terrible – we can't say that. But let's be honest. Uh, we shouldn't insult an advertiser, but that's a terrible name. Guide for TV Listings on Paper. There's got to be something cleaner than that. Guide for TV Listings on Paper. I got it. Newspaper. What? Mm, I bet you can get cleaner than that. That's not anyway. a thing. I don't think that's the thing. Phone anyway. book? Phone book. Phone book. First, you're going to tell me you want to call a number to get the TV listings. That's ridiculous. Hey, what's on uh, tonight? And then it'll like, read them to you. Or even like maybe there's a channel that would scroll like what's on currently. That'd be stupid. All right. We, so. we thank our sponsors. Uh, let's get on with the show. Ryan, uh, I understand that you have been watching something on Netflix, Amazon. What, what is this on? Finally. White, white lines, white, white lines, white lines on Netflix. Hang on, I, now you got to make me open up. True, the, true lines. What's it Jamie called? Curtis? What What is that note service that we use? Uh, Evernote. Evernote. <laughs> Let me. Got it. Here we go. Uh, so yeah, we've it's, been it's super easy. bored, and we will watch. I, we've discovered we'll watch basically anything that is <laughs> shows up uh, promoted by Netflix into our feed. Netflix and has broken you. It has. So we started watching this show called White Limes. And Wait, I, White Limes? White white Limes. <laughs> you can uh, snort White Limes. And I, I'm, I'm un, um, unsure of my feelings in saying that we've watched all of it. We watched the entire season. Oh. It sounds like a confession to me. It so does. It's, so it's just like one season. It's so it just came out. It came out during quarantine. It popped up and it was like new and it showed up in the Netflix top ten. And we were just like, whatever. Let's just How do you it. think that top ten is decided? Uh basically by like what Netflix releases. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like Netflix is like Guess what? Hey, this new show let's, is let's on our promote, top 10. Let's promote this stuff and say that it's our top 10. These are our top 10 promoted items. <laughs> <laughs> top 10 so, chosen by the CEO's dog this ne- This this show White Lines we discovered is about is about the party island Ibiza which is a famous island and it's about DJs. <laughs> oh, Ibiza. I get it. Ibiza. Sure. Ibiza. Ibiza. There's, no, like, there's, if you do too much cocaine in Ibiza, you have something called diabetha. <laughs> um, and it's about DJs. It's about, like, DJs who are against each other, like mob families are against each other. <laughs> what? And, uh, like, Thomas knows about DJs because the most famous DJ, Avicii, is from sweden and he was he was big in ibiza so drive himself to death too so there's a uh one of the families of a dj and one thing i learned is that the way that you guys you guys know how you like um torture a dj to get information from him you don't know oh no 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 part of it so you you tie him to a you take him to the beach where you have a a a a 30 foot speaker set up on the beach waiting you play nickelback you you tie the dj to the speaker like so like seriously like it's it's 30 feet 
so the and the DJ's tied chained to the speaker and the speaker's like right against the back of his where, head. Where do you get a 30 foot speaker? I don't know. In, in Ibiza. And okay. um you just slowly turn up the volume until uh, when you're asking him as you're asking him questions and he says, "Oh, I don't know." You turn up the volume more to the club music and then eventually you turn it up too loud and his ears start to bleed and then he can't hear you anymore. Why would I want to torture a DJ? Because he knows about a murder. <laughs> because the great DJ battles and uh the DJ battles, man, those are <laughs> the DJ wars. Just like they go to the mattresses, they go to the speakers. Is DJs this go- done by law enforcement? No, this is done by another DJ's family. <laughs> Because DJs so, run, DJ families run Ibiza like mob families run parts of New York or okay. uh, you know the town or different. That that's that's I mean, the premise it, of the show. Is is it a front for something else, or is the actual crime playing EDM music in clubs? <laughs> See, I thought drugs were legal over there, so I don't know. Like because a lot of it is about a family who sells drugs. So let's get into this unnecessary side story from the weird Netflix show, White Lines. And I'm just going to read exactly how I wrote this down. (laughs) Mob family. Son wants to fuck his mom. And for much of the show, we think maybe they have boned. (laughs) But also, maybe they haven't. It's a classic, like, will they, won't they but it's like did cest, didn't cest. Late in the season, we find out from sister that no, they haven't actually fucked. Mom only gave son a few hand jobs over the years. Classy HJ. Near the end of the season, dad, who was not aware of the mom son HJs, gets in a car accident and is paralyzed from the waist down. Dad, patriarch of this mob family, mob DJ family. And so dad's paralyzed from the waist down at the end of the season, last episode, mom and dad are in a clawfoot bathtub together. Mom is for some reason, not naked in the tub. Um, she's wearing like a negligee negligee in the tub for a, a negligent and, negligee. Yes. And she's trying to give dad an HJ, but dad, dad just keeps saying, Nope, can't feel a thing. Because he's paralyzed from the waist down. Then dad says, since he can't feel anything, it's fine if mom bangs other dudes from now on. (laughs) Right after dad says that, guess who walks in? The son son who's hoping to bang mom. Right. Yes, because he'd been listening outside the door. None other than... Speaking of other dudes. Exactly. Handjob Jr. walks in and and just like... (laughs) Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I was just listening in the other room while mom was trying to jack you. But you said mom can bang other dudes now? Winter tryouts. And <laughs> so mom hops out of the tub, just soaking wet in a you know nightie that's now completely see-through, and gives son a long hug right in front of dad. And dad doesn't seem to think that this is weird. And then she touches her son's face, which I thought was weird it's like, weren't you just handling dad's hang down? And, you know, it could have just, oh, I'm sorry. I let me, I got some of dad's pubic hairs on, on your face. Let me just wipe that off. 
Is this going to get much Mom, more your, detailed? Your, your fingers smell like poop. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> we were trying some butt stuff, too. None of this has any impact on the show whatsoever. Uh, none of it has any impact on the plot of the show. Nothing. None of the side plots. Nothing from the show would be any different if none of this side mom-son incest didn't take place. Because people find out about it throughout the show, and you think like, oh, now these people find out. Now things are going to be different. But then the next scene carries on as if nobody knew about it. Um, like... Like that, basically, the reason that son came in on that last scene with mom, dad in the tub there was to announce that he's done being a party boy and he's now ready to take over the family business. And like all of the dialogue from mom and dad and son arguing over whether or not son is ready to take over the family business could have been exactly the same as if it was in a restaurant full of crowded like the crowded restaurant full of people, it wouldn't have been any different than if it was mom and dad in a tub together. Question. Is the Mm -hmm. family business banging mom? (laughs) You know, that's not something I'd considered before because (laughs) again, none of the show doesn't deal. There's no consequences. There's no uh, nothing. Nothing comes. There's no, there's no resolution to the fact that mom and son have been, you know, doing are they, stuff are, are, they, are they British or Spanish or like they're what? Spanish. Yeah, they are Spanish. They, the whole thing takes place in are they Catalan Spanish. <laughs> um, um, so it, like I said, the show has this whole side plot, but nothing there it has no impact on the show. Okay. At all. Do, do you even, know who I blame for the this? relationship between mom and dad and son is completely unaffected. Hey, Here's who I blame. I, I blame our culture for just constantly uh, being stupid and dumbing things down um, so that, like, Freudian, Oedipal kind of themes cannot be implicit. They have to be explicit. That's yeah. what I blame. That's that, Yeah. I apparently, Everything's got to be spoon-fed to our idiotic. Yeah. yeah. It, like, not even – Exactly. There's no hinting about it. They just come right out and say, mom says at some point, a literal line is that she's, you know, given her son a few hand jobs over the years. Like, that's just a What's line. The explanation? The that's the explanation. Like, no. That's the explanation? Oh, we I've just given him. We haven't had sex. Of course not. I've just. I've just. <laughs> given and, it, and she admits this to who? The sister? Yeah, the sister. The sister. Sure. And, and the sister doesn't demand an explanation? No, no. The sister's like, I knew it. Why? <laughs> She's like, I knew it. Hey, uh, uh, Chris, I know that uh, your wife really enjoys Spanish shows. And so... <laughs> she does. <laughs> she does. Speaking of, did you watch Money Heist yet? No, I haven't. I haven't okay. uh, watched yeah, it. Oh, I want to watch that. Uh, it doesn't look quality to me, but I didn't actually watch sure. it. Like I just watched my wife watch it, and it Wait, just didn't look good. Is Money Heist the movie with uh, no. Jamie Fox in Spanish show? It's a Spanish show. Oh, because we were talking about Spanish shows. You brought up another Spanish show. <laughs> yeah, that is the through line. Yes. Mm. So Ryan. Oh, was... I thought that incest was the through line. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my wife is also into that. <laughs> Thanks for bringing it up, Thomas. 
Ryan, so was White Lines quality? No. No, it was, it, I mean, quality in terms of, like, we laughed about it throughout the entire, like, this is, we just couldn't believe that this was actually made and promoted on Netflix. I noticed that, like, basically after the amount of time that it would have taken someone to watch the entire series, it it's really fallen down off of being promoted by Netflix. Like, don't, you, don't you have you to, think- like, look for it now. Don't you think that you could have spent those 10 hours watching something else? <laughs> I doubt it. <laughs> no. We've watched almost everything. He believes in determinism. There, There's nothing he could have done. Top 10 right now. Jeffrey Epstein, Filthy Rich, Space Force. Oh, we watched Space Force, too. Space Force is funny. I like Space Force. Queer guy? More Chris, than a makeover? Chris, don't say Top that. 10? Uh, 365 DNI. Top 10. Uh, Last Days of American Crime. Uh, that looks interesting. Like, they, uh, it's a movie. I watched the trailer. They, like, somebody invents the serum that the police can, like, f- like, freeze all of your motor functions if they think you're committing a crime. So you're just, like, frozen in place. Next. Mid, amidst crime. And then they can arrest you. Michael Pitt from Boardwalk Empire and nothing since Boardwalk Empire comes in, and he's found a way to get around it. Uh, in the top ten, they'll give you three adjectives to describe each item. And 365 mm-hmm. DNI, the three words are lavish, romantic, and drama. So if you want to watch a lavish show, watch the number number two show in the U.S. today. What's the one with Superman in it? What, what show? The Witcher. Where, where's, where's The Witcher in the top ten? Is it on the top ten? It is not top ten. Which oh. is old old news. I mean, they spent more money on that than anything, so you'd think that they'd want that to still be in the top ten. There's a point where they acknowledge that something's not very good, and and uh, whatever else is new, they add to their top ten. So I, that that would be my my guess. It is making me really happy that I am not actually paying for Netflix. <laughs> and then the idea that there are still people who think that Netflix is actually like money well spent. I don't I don't get it. I mean JVL's right about it that it's cable. It's a hundred or a thousand six hundred it's six hundred channels and nothing to watch is what it is. So I asked you about Haywire. It says Haywire is slick, forceful, and exciting. Forceful. I don't really? know what these things even mean. Sounds, it sounds like the rise of Skywalker to me. That's forceful. <laughs> There's no stopping that force. It's only slick if you use lube. Thanks for, for taking a somewhat subtle joke and just <laughs> just just pulling it all out thanks what he white lines did transition from talking about uh, netflix garbage we're now going to talk about a classic movie which is my pick for the movies that people have rated poorly but it's actually good uh, and oh is that what we were doing and it's actually yes there are people out there who actually dislike this movie for no good reason, and we're going to talk about why it's actually a great movie. So we're going and, to talk and about Ryan's, no, Ryan's no. not being subtle about it. He's white linesing his opinion on this. He hates it, everybody. So The 51st State was released in 2001. It is also known for some god-awful reason as Formula 51, but <laughs> I had never heard of that name for the movie until uh, I watched it a few weeks ago. But it had something to do with being released in different countries, whatever. So it's directed by Ronnie Yu, 
had a budget of 27 million and pulled 27 million dollars pulled in a whopping 14.4 million <laughs> so That's good right it, i think it's good it's, it's, i think they say i think they say if you make like <laughs> half your budget back then it's a success it's, yeah. yeah generally what they say <laughs> you can't expect to make money on movies in this movie we have Samuel L. Jackson, Robert Carlyle, and Emily Mortimer. And who else, Ryan? Meatloaf. <laughs> Fucking Meatloaf. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, when uh, I was reading up after I had watched it, and they were talking about the casting, the director, Ronnie Yu, he, he said that the casting of Meatloaf was, they an, inspired, it was an inspired choice. <laughs> Am I supposed to know who Robert Carlyle is? Because I don't think I know. Uh, he was in Train Spotting, which I haven't oh, seen, okay. but but he he would be famous from that. Yeah, that makes he, sense. He, he's been in a few things. I recognize the guy. So he's in the the Full Monty. He's in the World Is Not Enough. He's not the more famous of the British ones here. Emily Mortimer has been in much sure. more stuff after it. Yeah. and this yeah. is the movie that launched her. Really didn't like destroy her that you know <laughs> i i thought she overcame this movie launch is a weird it's a, she was it's great the guardian way. described it as her breakthrough and she did great in it i had never heard of this movie despite samuel L. jackson being in it and despite it being a, a not a small budget movie but thomas you said this was on all the time on swedish tv it, it was on all the time spooky i talked with spooky about it and he said it was on all the time in the u.s too okay. so like it's it's not an unknown never heard of this movie before that's insane. I, I, I don't know. understand how this can be the case. I didn't believe you that it was a real movie when you said it. And then I looked it up and it's got a different name. I don't know what's going on here, but I think someone retconned the past. And so like, like it didn't actually come <laughs> out like somebody, somebody time traveled and and put this movie back. All right, shut up, Ryan. That's it's almost what it seems like. I, I kind of agree with Ryan. That's almost what it seems like. That like this never happened, but somehow someone went back in time and we're like... It's like the Berenstein, Berenstein Bears <laughs> thing. The director, Ronnie Yu, do you know what else he's made that no. he's known for? No. No. He is the director of American horror classics such as The Bride of Chucky and Freddy vs. Jason. Not seen those. I miss those. I guess I know Chucky. I've never seen any of the Chucky franchise. I've missed all of the Chuckies. How about the Freddy Krueger? Yeah, I haven't seen any of those either. J- Jason? No. Which, which one is is, for, is Halloween? Is that Freddy or Jason? Or are they in different Halloween movies? Or are they you, neither? You are asking the wrong crowd. We, we don't. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I don't know. J- Jason wears a hockey mask, right? Yeah, one of, he's got a hockey mask. Okay. Hannibal Lecter, is that Halloween? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Or Friday the 13th. I'm mixing all this stuff up. <laughs> Hannibal Lecter wore that hockey mask before he ate that prison guard. I thought he wore an Iron Man mask. I think it's safe to say that we are never going to do a horror episode on this show because we have no idea. <laughs> oh, speaking of, uh, we were talking about movies to watch. Uh, and I was visiting with a friend who really, uh, really likes horror Please movies. Horror, really likes horror movies. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Like, I just told a friend I was not going to watch Mids- Midsummer because uh, Tom- <laughs> like, Thomas wanted that to be a, a movie we watched for the show. And I'm like, no, I, I, like, I don't, we don't really strongly veto things. But that one I gave a pretty strong veto to. And I was like, uh, he said it's not really, you know, horrorish. And she just looked at me like, 
Like I was crazy. She was like, that movie is is like even for a horror fan, she's like, that movie's disgusting and like sickening and uh, twisted. And even for her, it was too much. She said, I would have, uh, I almost if I wouldn't have been there with someone, I would have walked out. It was well, too much for summer? her. Yeah, that's insane. Anyway, so uh, I wanted to ask you guys about. So it's it's a British Canadian movie. And it was released under one title in Britain. Oh, are, are we back on 51st State? Yes. Okay. And another title in the US. Do you know any other English-speaking movies that have well, I th- done I this? Think, I think that's so, good marketing, honestly. I mean, the more titles you have, the more awareness of your product you have. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, you I want mean, to confuse people. Confusion... <laughs> Confusion breeds success. Yeah. I mean, I'm, like, I think we should pitch to a studio that every state should have a different title for <laughs> each movie. It just makes sense to have more titles of movies. Like, and people, it would just, like, create the buzz that it would create would be incredible. People talked about how the, the Margot Robbie uh, superhero movie, what's it called? What? Birds of Prey or something oh, else. Oh, oh. Right. Uh, and, uh, and the title Confusion regarding that. Here, we just changed the title completely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To be clear, this wasn't a superhero movie. And, and like, it wasn't a title change. It was a title revision, right? Like, it still was Birds of Prey, but it had, like, birds, wasn't it Birds of Prey colon birds something of, else? The, the Fantabulous something, something. Yeah, Harley Quinn. And they're just, like, just, just Facebook. It's cleaner. Chris, who did the cinematography for the 51st State? I've, I have no idea, Thomas. You tell me. The cinematography was made by Poon Hang Sang. You're the one who pointed I, it out. I, I wasn't going to laugh, and when you said it, it made me laugh. <laughs> Chris, would you like to give us an synopsis of the movie? Start. So we see, uh, yeah, so we see Samuel L. Jackson driving down the California coast in a convert, convert, doesn't matter, driving down the coast, swerving around, smoking a J. Get, uh, we could see on the... <laughs> Again, subtlety is is lost on your average viewer, so uh, we have to have him swerving all over the road, which I guess is a thing that happens when you smoke marijuana. Um, and uh, He's more drunk than high to me, but <laughs> yes, I I agree. And you could look over and see his degree sitting out on the seat, because that's what you do is just like leave it to blow away in the wind um he's just graduated with a degree in pharmacology did he did he have his maybe his maybe i'm making this up but i want to say he had his his uh, his cap and gown on or with him Uh, and he's celebrating gets pulled over uh he explains to the officer that if he were to get busted today or is it like in the first month that it would totally ruin his career he would lose his license and it would ruin his life the highway patrol finds a joint somewhere, puts it in his mouth, which I guess is something you do before you light a joint. Yep. Puts it in his mouth, and then he lights it, takes a, sw- a puff, which kind of takes Samuel L. Jackson off his guard, and he's like, okay, this guy's going to let me off. Mm-hmm. But he's this cop is just taunting him. Mm. Takes one puff, and he drops it to the ground. He says, the 60s are over, man. Or is it the <laughs> 70s? And this is why cops need body cams. <laughs> Flash forward, he is a chemist for a drug dealer that uh, where, uh, and he's making some drugs. I guess right above a doll factory. Yes, making some drugs. <laughs> well, uh, cooking some drugs in a lab. 
yeah, and he's he's working for the lizard. Uh, and so the next big thing is so he finishes cooking whatever it is he's cooking, and then no, but we're cutting between that and Emily Mortimer going up into a tower to shoot somebody. She's a skilled assassin, highly paid. Highly paid, but somehow indebted to Meatloaf, the big bad drug dealer, where uh, she's slowly working off a debt. Right, because she's got to kill so many people to make uh, to to what was the total amount, or did they ever say the total amount? I don't think they ever said. We just know that it was. Amount. We just know that it was a lot. And it was she's a lot. Gotta, she's got to kill a lot of people, and and he, and the reason that he keeps her around, even though she owes him so much money, is because there's no one better. At, at killing people, yeah. At assassinating yeah. people. And she must honestly be the stupidest assassin. So she's really only effective. I'm at, thinking that Milov just doesn't know any other assassins. <laughs> no, but what I'm saying is what makes her really stupid is that it's never occurred to her to just kill the guy that she owes everything to. Right? <laughs> like, if she were such a skilled assassin, shouldn't she just kill the guy who, who is kind of dangling her freedom in front of her forever? Especially like, since he doesn't seem like a great guy. No, no. But she's like, no, I, there's the code. You don't kill your boss. Do we ever, I don't think we ever find out what's happened to meet half of Meatloaf's face. Right? No, we don't. I wonder if nope. that's why she, maybe she threw some acid at him. You know, Russian. No, I, I, Russian no, I bet she I just left the all, stove on or something. <laughs> I think it's all gambling debt, though. Because when, uh, when she promises to do whatever later in the movie, Meatloaf says that he will wipe, wipe her coin clean. Or something like that. And, and she so did you move think to she's Vegas. Just like, she's just like, uh, can't stop gambling on the bulls. That's what you think. I don't David get Stern it. asked her to step away from the game for a few years. She Or like gambling against the bulls. I guess since this was probably in the late 90s, she was like, no, the bulls aren't going to win three in a row. Elmo McElroy is apparently a great chemist. No and... degree. So he has to, you know, work, you know, his, his no, degree no, was... He... He has a degree. It just got, apparently they can take it away if you get arrested. That's how degrees work. (laughs) But I don't know. I I am sure that if you are arrested and you have a conviction, you probably can't find work as a pharmacologist or something. Actually, it's not a degree thing. It's, in all honesty, it's a licensing thing. And you're right. My my, my wife actually sits on a state board that that, um, decides whether or not to give back licensure. The question is, would your wife have voted to give Elmo his license back? Absolutely not, man. The 60s are over. Oh. <laughs> That's what she would have said. Elmo She's is... always saying that. <laughs> Elmo is working for the lizard, and he has invented this, this new drug that's blue. blue I, 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 should, I should point out that, like, what, 20, 25 years have elapsed? So, like, that was, like, 1970 or something, and now it's, like, present day. Right. So yeah, he's been no, working. He, he's so old. instead of that, for 20 years, 25 years, he's been working for this drug dealer uh, making pills. Yeah. So Elmo has figured out that he can get out of this because he has this uh, amazing new pill, amazing new drug that he's going to try to sell. And he can get so much more money out of it if he does it on his own. He uh, blows up the meeting with Lizard and his, what would you call them? Customers, I guess. The lizard falls down into the bottom floor of the doll factory and ends up right at the ocean. time that the explosion happens. So he survives the explosion. That was really unfortunate. For, yeah, for Elroy. For, for, Elroy. for Samuel L. Jackson. As far as Samuel L. Jackson knows, he's dead because he's yes. listening to this phone. He's like on the phone or something. Uh, here's, here's the explosion and assumes everyone's dead. Well, which is a pretty good assumption. 
El uh, Meatloaf tells him, "You fucked me. I'm truly ass invaded." <laughs> is, is that what he said? That's what he said. <laughs> <laughs> See, it seems like it was forever ago that I watched this movie, even though it was like ten days ago. No, uh, I, I, so, yeah, I, I wrote it down. You fucked me. I'm truly ass invaded. <laughs> okay. And so, for some reason. They never explain in the whole movie. Samuel L. Jackson puts on a kilt and gets on a plane. This is one of the best parts of the movie. This is one of the best parts. Emily Mortimer is ordered by her boss. Yeah, like go. uh, Let's not kill him right away, but follow him for a while, right? When she's on the plane, she's not going to kill him yet, especially since with, you know, sitting on a plane and shifting your legs, crossing and uncrossing, she's really hoping to get a a look at his dong. Wouldn't you? Like, there's this scene where it's it's not it's so obvious like she's this look of disappointment on her face she should have won an oscar just for <laughs> being disappointed that she doesn't get to see his dick all right but also on the plane there is this really fat kid seated yeah. right in front of samuel l jackson and he like crawls over the back of the airplane seat when samuel l jackson is asleep to get the candy which is actually the drugs that he has in the bag the kid which is in, in a there. pouch like right by his penis he reaches in. So this, and he grabs this kid like is like, "What's this pouch like on his the front of his belt, inches from his penis?" This kid reaches over his seat while he's sleeping, opens it, grabs a, a candy, which is actually a pill, and puts it in his mouth. Samuel L. Jackson wakes up and forces him to spit it out. Then the mom restrains her kid, but gives Samuel L. Jackson the evil eye because obviously it is his fault that the fat kid crawled over the back of his seat. And open a pouch inches from his penis. Can we jump to spoilers? Spoil away. This movie is from 2001. The big uh, reveal at the very end of the movie is what, Thomas? The drugs are actually fake. It's actually fake. Uh, totally 100% placebo effect. There is no magic at all to this, this, this chemical. There, there's nothing to it. There's nothing to it. And yet, if, if that was the case, if it was just a placebo, why did he make the kid spit it out? I mean, besides for the viewer, besides for us to think that it was real. Maybe he just didn't enjoy having his shit stolen by a fat kid. Maybe they didn't <laughs> want to spoil the movie. You okay. know, all right, all right. Exactly. All right. It's he, had to play, he had to play. He had to. He had to play along. He had, he had to you know fulfill his role. And I will say, like this is how that is how people react when they take a placebo, whether they know it's a placebo or not. If they take something that is a placebo of drugs, of super, you know, high tech, high formula drugs, that kid would have started acting like an insane person just because of the placebo effect, even though he didn't know about it. That's how it works, Chris. (laughs) (laughs) Plane lands in England. Emily Mortimer is following him, but there's someone else in England who's looking to follow him. And they're told to look for the black man in a dress. Because he starts looking at all these all these Arabs who are coming through, and he, he think he assumes those are the people. So that's how he gets through customs. He's supposed to be nabbed by these guys at, at, before he goes through customs. Uh, uh, and, and can I can I just yeah. say, Chris, because you got this you got this wrong. And you tried to make fun of it, but if you were flying to Britain and you were going to Britain, what would your outfit be? I would put on a kilt. It only seems natural. What else would I wear? You take your golf clubs and your kilt. Yeah. If you're going to Britain, because that's what, you know, people who in Britain wear. When you fly to Florida, do you wear 
cargo shorts? Ankle bracelet. (laughs) (laughs) He wears jean shorts. He wears jorts when he flies to Florida. Uh, Yeah, he lands in Manchester and he manages to get through customs, manage to avoid the coppers. But already before that, we are introduced to Felix de Sousa. What would you call him? A fixer? Is that his title? But he is a fixer for the English, this English mob boss. And he's in the car together with their own chemist. This is also the point in the movie where we are, we are introduced to the most important part of the movie, which is that Felix de Sousa is from Liverpool and a huge LFC fan. And he goes to a pub where he lights a fire inside a pub filled with Manchester United fans and then jumps uh, a brick wall and escapes there to get to the airport. Yeah, yeah. so he just goes in there to just... um, There's a big soccer match coming up between Liverpool and Manchester, and he just wants to... Because he had so much extra time that he just wanted to, so he just decided to. Well, it's I mean, important. It's, a, it's an insight into Felix's, uh, like who he is, like a big fu. Um, he like he goes through this Man U pub with you know, revealing his Liverpool shirt underneath, lights a flare and tosses it in, and, and so that's that's Felix D'Souza. He he he's kind of a cocky gangster fixer. Apparently, his driver is a complete moron. <laughs> Yeah, because what does he do? <laughs> well, first of all, he, like somehow in, in this whole escapade, he somehow let the chemist out of the car and forgot about him. Yeah, right. he left him outside the pub. The, so second, the-, the second most important of the two people they're picking up today. <laughs> yes, there's really only two people you need. Uh, one chemist and the other chemist. Uh, the one is there to determine, kind of like... Arnold Schwarzenegger is there to determine whether or not, in true lies, these are actually nuclear weapons. Uh, they bring a chemist to make sure that this formula is actually something impressive that they want to invest in. And they forgot him at the pub. And so <laughs> Felix is like, he says to his driver, come on, go get him. Go take care of him. <laughs> and he, he goes and he takes care of him. Right, Thomas? <laughs> He takes care of him and stuffs him in the trunk of his car, dead. And he's like, why'd you kill him? He said, well, you said take care of him. So I took, he said, not take care of him. I said, I meant take care of him. I I think it's obvious that Felix is at fault here. At the airport, there's a confrontation between Felix and these other guys. Kind of these, are they like neo-Nazis or something? Or who are they? They're like skinheads. Regular skinheads, skinheads, I'd say. What's what's the difference between a skinhead and a neo-Nazi? I don't know. I think uh, all all neo Nazis are skinheads, but not all skinheads are neo Nazis. Is that? <laughs> Sh- draw me a Venn diagram, please. <laughs> Ryan is a skinhead, but he's not a Nazi. If anyone knows Richard Spencer, could we have him on the podcast <laughs> to help us understand the nuances between <laughs> these idiots? Felix is supposed to transport uh, Samuel L. Jackson to uh, to the this- to the English mob boss in a hotel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And on the way, they stop to get fish and chips, and it looked delicious to me, but Samuel L. Jackson just looks at it and throws it out the window. But anyway, that's not important. <laughs> we, also, we also just skipped right past the fact that Robert Car- Carlyle is pointing a gun at people in a UK airport. Yeah. <laughs> which... I thought it was pretty strange that you could just, like, guns are pretty much illegal in England, and yeah. you're able to walk all over an airport waving and, a gun around. Yeah, and it, it's fine. <laughs> So uh, they get to the hotel, delivers uh, Elmo to Durant, 
Uh, but Emily Mortimer has stalked her way there and is on the other side and, of the street uh, ready to, to fire. Durant apparently has hemorrhoids because we see no, one of his servants no, carrying no, a no. hemorrhoid donut back and forth between well, his. This yeah, is and, and he this keeps like fun. standing up and sitting down, standing up and sitting down, and, and one of these guys who works for him, his job is to move the hemorrhoid pillow, which is actually not for hemorrhoids. It you is missed because this. he waxes his ass. I did miss that. Yeah, it's, it's a terrific detail in the movie. And so Emily Mortimer, the assassin, is ready to All is kill... forgiven. I changed my mind. Is it Elmo or Elroy? I guess I don't even know his name. Elmo. El- Elmo, Elmo McElroy. Okay. Elmo McElroy. So it's understandable why he de- I... He definitely well, goes by Elmo, though. McElroy? Maybe he's just Scottish. Well, I think that's what the kilt is. Okay. As she's about to pull the trigger, she gets a phone call where Meatloaf says, actually... Uh, keep him alive. Don't kill him. Kill everyone. Keep him alive. Kill everyone else that threatens him. And so she kills everybody except Felix. She just shoots him in the butt. Shot him in the butt. All right. And, so and Felix a... knows. Felix knows that she left him, even though she shot him in the butt. He knows right away. Oh, she didn't. She didn't want to kill me. She kept me alive on purpose. Well, because she's so, she's that good of a shot. Right? Yeah. What would actually happen if you shot someone in the butt? <laughs> Like I thought about, it. I'm like. It seems because- like uh, have you have you not seen Band of Brothers? Because like, yeah, all, all kinds of guys get like in the first like five episodes, like three different guys get shot in the butt, and they all come back for like later on, just like. So so Forrest Gump, I remember he got shot in the butt. In sure, the butt Forrest talks, Gump too, and he's like the, in an army another, hospital for a while. Another, another true true account, just like Band of Brothers. <laughs> He learns ping pong. In the Band of Brothers book, it does talk about multiple guys getting shot in the butt and then coming back within a couple weeks. So yes, that seems reasonable. A couple weeks, yeah. There you go, Thomas. Robert Carlyle is fine in like a couple hours. <laughs> yeah. <he's... laughs> uh, yeah. So uh, uh, Elmo and Felix managed to escape from the hotel room with the money that he was trying to get off the mob boss, like $1.6 million or something like that. Which but he was hoping did... for the whole amount of money. He's hoping for $20 million, but this was yeah. just the down payment. Okay. One of the things that uh, I read online was that anytime you see Emily Mortimer hold a rifle or anything in this movie, she's actually resting the rifle on furniture because... When it's too heavy? She, uh, it's too heavy. She auditioned <laughs> and was like, I'm never getting this job because I can't even hold the rifle up. I mean, her arms are tiny. After the hotel... We have uh, a great car chase scene uh, yeah. through the streets of Liverpool. In the hotel, we also find out what the importance is of the number 51. Because oh, it's, the drug is 51 times more powerful than ecstasy and 51 times more powerful than cocaine. I don't know. It's not just like drugs. twice or three times as powerful. It's 51 yeah. times more. So if, if doing a lot of cocaine <laughs> makes you poop the bed while you're sleeping (laughs) 51 times more powerful like (laughs) you just you just are constantly just shitting yourself right like you were it's adult diaper time you're basically the astronaut driving from texas (laughs) all the way to florida lucy in the sky with diamonds on hbo right now starring natalie portman she did not wear diapers in that well I mean, movies are not... They, they take liberties with movies, right? And so, uh, so, yeah, so Police Chase, which ends with them jumping off a bridge onto, like, a like a garbage 
barge or something? Yeah, with uh, Felix's Jag, because he is definitely the kind of guy who would drive a Jag. Yeah, and so they float, they get away by kind of floating down the river. Uh, but also on the barge, they manage to strike a deal on, uh, like, Felix is actually going to get part of, like, the hole now. And so he's mm. going to be in on it. So he's actually going to help this yank. There are a lot of anti-American jokes in this movie. Or insults, I guess. They're not really jokes. They're just insults. Yeah. Did, did you is enjoy that, that Thomas? Mm-hmm. It was great. The country that gave you not one but two postgraduate degrees. Just gave them to you. You're going to eat your peanut butter and drink your root beer, and you're going to enjoy it. No, I can't wait to make Thomas a peanut butter root beer float. We, we also find out that one of the important pieces of the plot here is that the cop that tried to catch them at the airport, he's dirty. Uh, mm-hmm. Virgil Kane. He's, he's in this for, is it his own profit? I assume so, right? Seems like it. Yeah, he's getting paid off. The skinheads, re- skinheads return back into the picture because they managed to catch... Elmo, <laughs> Elmo and Felix, and bring them to their lab where they have Elmo uh, make the drugs again. He, because... makes the, he makes them a version of the drug. Okay, so and, and here's the thing. Like, when you make someone make drugs for you, like Walter White, like Walter White, make us meth, okay? The first thing you do is you, you test your supply, right? <laughs> Yeah, everyone knows did. that. Everyone, like everyone in the group, just let's let's all take it. We have to all take this drug right now. But Thomas, he doesn't actually make them the drug, does he? He makes them a very powerful potion that incapacitates the diarrhea ones. pill. He makes the them diarrhea, diarrhea pill <laughs> <laughs> because they all within minutes they're all falling to the ground, clutching their stomachs. And pooping their pants because, and you know that they're pooping their pants because uh, you can see the brown leaking through <laughs> their jeans that they're wearing. And I believe he throws them some toilet paper just throw- to make just to make sure we got it. <laughs> did he have a kind of a clever line when he did that? Cool he, off. They should have been wearing so. So Samuel diapers. L. Jackson, Elmo gets away. They need to find a new buyer for this stuff. So uh, Felix D'Souza... <clears throat> contacts his i don't know if it's old pal or whatever um what's his name icky uh, woods no just icky i don't think we ever okay. get the last name uh, and they go to icky's rave club where elmo is going to mm. try to strike a deal and- race right reese e fans the guy mm. who was like in every british gangster movie in the late 90s and early 2000s so uh, elmo is trying to strike a deal with Riss Iffens, uh, and they fail because the police is storming the place and uh, interrupt everything. And there's also Emily Mortimer who wants to uh, steal away Elmo. But, but before the police storm it, he just like throws a bunch of pills at everyone in the club and just like, hey, try out my new drugs, and like makes it rain with. with that's uh, how you test it. That's, yeah, that's how that's you test a, it. It's a scientific approach to testing things. And I, and I assume it's to uh, display the placebo effect that you don't actually have to feed people drugs, but if they think that this is some amazing shit and they're already at the rape club, they're just going to go more insane. But again, yeah, it's like a if placebo. You're, if, you're, if you're out there trying to get some public on your privates, then uh, a, a drug is going to help and you're going to pretend even more. Yeah. But again, it's a placebo. So how did he make it through the chemist in the hotel room? And uh, why did he fear the police at the club? If, in fact, it was, there was nothing in the pill. 
Because that's how placebos work. If the police <laughs> thought that it was drugs and they tested it, the placebo effect would, would totally go up yeah. in the test. Okay. All right. All right. It would. Yeah. It tricks tests too. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Right. And so there's some chaos at the rave club, and um, <coughs> they end up taking Felix to the police station, and Elmo ends up striking a new deal with Emily Mortimer. Yep. That's how you say Felix. I don't understand. And then after that, they have to figure out the way out of this because the lizard is coming. Lizard Emily, is coming. Mort- Emily Mortimer tells them that. Let's not forget the most important thing, that Liverpool is going to play against <laughs> Manchester United. Felix, the whole movie has been like, I don't care about anything. I just want to go to this game tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's that's the that's whole point of cares about. He just he cares. wants to get a ticket to that game. And he tells you that like seven times. They set up a meeting so they don't miss the game in, in a luxury box at, uh, the game. at the game. At the game. And so they get the and this was sort of foreshadowed with the diarrhea pill, is that they need to try to get out of this somehow, right? Felix, Elmo, and Dawn, which is her real name, not Dakota, which she went by earlier in the movie, Emily Mortimer. They meet in a private viewing box, and that box had a lot of really tasty-looking food in it. Yeah, looked um, great. And so they are about to finish this deal, and Elmo well, walks would over. Would almost make it worthwhile to go to a, a soccer match if, if you could just like eat food like that. Shut up, Chris. Elmo is over by the bar mixing some drinks. You probably get the idea that something's up here because why is Elmo making the drinks? The deal is interrupted by the lizard who storms in and shoots Icky dead and demands uh, the, the formula, POS 51 or whatever it is called uh, at this point in the movie. Elmo, I think it was called POS, wasn't it? Yeah. Yes, POS 51. So. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Uh, yeah which stood Power for of something. Suggestion. Power of suggestion. <laughs> oh, okay. I, I always thought it stood for something else. Elmo reveals that it is placebo. Kane, the police officer, storms into the room, interrupts them as uh, the lizard blows up. Because um, Elmo gives him a special drink that is an explosive cocktail. Once it warms up to the uh, the innards of your body, warm up the, it the liquid. Combusts. It combusts, and, and you your, blow up. Your body goes all over everyone else's body. Then you, then everyone gets some public on their privates. Unless you have an umbrella, which they had. Oh, that's true. Kane, who stormed in, is knocked unconscious or something like that, and the others manage to escape. The movie ends happily. Uh, Don and Felix they go off and give the relationship another chance, and Elmo purchases a castle. Castle that own, uh, owned by the person who owned his ancestors. Black Lives Matter, 51st State, ends happily. Right. It's a movie for our times. Ryan, uh-huh. are you ready for my hot take? All right. <laughs> I, if it's... I, have a, I, I have a hot take about this movie. Okay, good. Go on, Chris. From the time that the airplane lands in England until the time when the skinheads poop themselves, this... That that segment of the movie is as good as your median Guy Ritchie movie. As good or better than your median Guy Ritchie movie. True, but so is the rest of the movie. What, okay, what, that is a truly a, hot take. What's a median Guy Ritchie movie? I mean, because are you talking about Chav King Arthur? Because no, like I like Rock and Roll, uh, Lockstock. 
Oh, see, I've not, I've not seen those two. I've seen <laughs> the good ones. I've seen the good ones. So I'm not going to argue that it's and Snatch then, or The Gentleman. I've seen, yeah, I've seen Snatch and The Gentleman, and then I've also seen Chad King Arthur. So Snatch? my point is that, that that portion of the movie is great. It is a delight. It's, it's actually yeah, actually kind of interesting. It, it is the best part of that movie. That's for sure. Yeah, like the chase is interestingly shot. Like the the quick cuts. I mean, it is kind of an homage. It definitely was an, an definitely the guy. Definitely had Ronnie Yu. Definitely had Guy Ritchie in mind during that. So the fifty first date is twenty six percent fresh from critics, fifty nine percent from the audience. A little high. This movie is definitely fresh. It's definitely good, and it's a classic. But. Since I will not have any other opportunity on this podcast to talk about this, I wanted to to take a minute to transition a little bit. So what is the main plot of the movie? It is that Liverpool is going to play Manchester at Anfield. (laughs) And he wants to get tickets and go to that game. That's the main plot of the movie. Felix is mean. If the movie was called (laughs) Felix, whatever his name is, then yes, that would be the main plot of the movie. And (laughs) so... So what most people know is that Liverpool Football Club is one of the biggest football clubs in the world. Uh, but one of the biggest, huh? It didn't necessarily have... Like, do they weigh the, all the players? Uh, a few years before this movie, about 11 years, the, the thing that I actually wanted to talk about, because there are a bunch of books written on this, and I recently listened to a podcast about this, and it's something that fascinates me about sports, and especially about soccer, because I think it is more visible there than anywhere else. And it's also worldwide sports, so it works a little better. But it's the connection between sports and society. So in 1989, in the spring of 1989, there's something called the Hillsborough Disaster. Do you Have you guys heard of this? Nope. So the Hillsborough Disaster is the worst disaster to ever befall English sports. Oh, sport, I saw a documentary where there was like the stands collapsed or something yeah. like that. And a bunch so, of people died. Yeah. Yeah, so so the stands didn't necessarily collapse, but they uh, Liverpool went away to Sheffield to play at Hillsbury against Nottingham in the semifinals of the FA Cup. They squeezed so many people into the short end yeah. behind the Liverpool goal that 69 people ended up dying and 700-some people ended up injured. Nice. Uh, and the immediate... <laughs> Ryan. What's significant about the Hillsborough disaster is that it comes at a period when Liverpool is the best team in England. They have just brought back uh, Ian Rush from Italy. Uh, All English clubs are currently still banned from playing in Europe because of the Heisel disaster a few years earlier. They're probably one of the best teams in Europe at the time, but we don't know because they weren't in European play. They end up taking a week break because of the disaster, because the players had family and friends in the stands. One of the youngest people that died was Steven Gerrard's cousin, Steven Gerrard, who mm-hmm. lifted the Champions League trophy in 2005 for Liverpool. But it's this huge emotional moment and this big turning point where before Hillsborough, you talk about old school football and after Hillsborough, you talk about the modern football age. One of the things that change is that all arenas in the Premier League and around Europe, they become all seater arenas instead of having any standing room only. But so what's significant out of a political perspective is that Liverpool at the time and the government down in London, which was led by uh, Maggie Thatcher, did not get along because Liverpool is a working class city in the northwest of England. They all vote for Labour. They all hate the Tories. And the Tories view Liverpool sort of as a pariah. 
And so in the aftermath of the Hillsborough disaster, the government and law enforcement, they blame the fans and they blame hooligans and they blame drunks. It took until 2016 until uh, an inquest and the government found that, no, it was actually law enforcement's fault. Uh, So it took, how long is that? 26 years for the government to actually admit that, no, we fucked up. It wasn't your fault. And this has lived on in Liverpool ever since. And to me, it's an interesting aspect of when politics impacts sports and vice versa, because 60, 75% of Liverpool live and die for this team. Uh, the other idiots root for Everton, which is the lesser team from Merseyside. I don't know if this is the case in American sports. Are sports and politics or culture intertwined with sports teams in the same way? No. Like, I don't think that's... I mean, events can do that. Uh, like, uh, after 9-11, um, it just so happened that... that well, I guess that was September. Um, <laughs> but But the Yankees went to the World Series that year, and it kind of united America, and, and I think... America um, kind of rooted for the Yankees, but also there's the kind of that yes. moment where where Bush threw the strike right. um, uh, as the first pitch of the game. Uh, there was just a really good feeling moment that he came on the field w- when play resu- finally resumed. I don't know how many days they took off, like maybe ten days. Yeah, it wasn't it, not more than a couple of weeks. Yeah, something and like then seven to it was, ten. It's kind of this big national moment, kind of uh, unifying non-partisan moment where uh, we all watched George Bush come in and and uh, uh, interesting having a president being a, like a virile man who actually can throw right. a strike. <laughs> What's that? The, 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 the 30 for 30 short on that is, is one of the best 30 for 30s hmm. um, of him just like behind the scenes of that and just like how much he put into like I've got to throw a strike, basically. <laughs> like how much he knew it was going to be a big deal. Like you don't want to bounce that pitch. No, no. <laughs> or throw it like into the stands. Like and, was and it, was just it like since- and just like the players, like it, it, like Jeter told him, like in the in, like underneath the stadium before the game, it was it told him like you can't bounce this. You know that, right? And, <laughs> but but sports mean a lot to many U.S. cities, right? Like uh, like sure. For me, like Pittsburgh comes to mind as a city that for a very long time with the decline of industry and so on was on the ropes, but they still had the Steelers and they still had the Penguins and they were unifying symbols for the city. Oh, yeah. 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 You should watch it. What's that Mark Wahlberg uh, movie where he plays, uh, uh, he tries out for the Eagles? No, that's an Always Sunny in Philadelphia episode. <laughs> oh, that's right. I, I'm, I've just made that up in my head. I'm pretty sure it's called Invincible. Things can become political, like the uh, Hurricane Katrina it turned into a political thing. Um, many people uh, criticized Bush's handling of Hurricane Katrina, and uh, the super, the New Orleans Superdome was in fact a big um, uh, site where uh, of uh, kind of an aid station uh, where where people who were displaced were given uh, they, they were brought there and they're given food and water and things and and even shelter. Uh, and, and that's, you know, a site where a, a football team plays. And so, so that, that I think was, was, but yeah, well, I don't know if it's, we're, we're, we're yeah. missing, we're missing a big thing though. Uh, that yeah. I realize sort of matter. Uh, oh, uh, the Boston marathon bombing. They'll call it Kaepernick. <laughs> <laughs> but also the, the Boston marathon bo- bombing, I think we, we shouldn't skip over, but I mean, marathon isn't a huge, like, yeah. <laughs> you know, spectator no. sport, but, but that, you know, they made a movie about that, that with, 
uh, with, I think, Mark Wahlberg as well. But yeah, Colin Kaepernick, that, of course, is a, is a political thing. And, and one where that's kind of, I think, ambiguous on how much it hurt or, or where the public was back then, because kind of, uh, I think many people think that, that NFL ratings were hurt by people watching, stopping watching the NFL because they didn't like Ka- Colin Kaepernick's stance. And Two, uh, two last things about uh, the Hillsborough disaster. So one of the things that Liverpool did afterwards, so the players, so the, the match started and the match went on for six minutes and people behind the Liverpool goal, they were literally shouting at the goalkeeper for, for help because they were literally mm. saying that we're dying uh, because it was so packed and they were squeezed up against the fence and there was nowhere to go. And the keeper tried to stop the game, but they didn't. But then eventually six minutes in, they ended the game and the players went into their dressing rooms. And then they still had, I don't know if it's a two and a half or three hour bus ride or whatever from Hillsbury to get home, but they were stuck in the dressing room for a really long time. They had to try to decide how to deal with this. For, so for the next 10 games, Liverpool didn't, uh, next 10 days, Liverpool didn't play any games. They opened up Anfield as a place for for mourning, uh, and citizens of Liverpool went there and left flowers and teddy bears and uh, other things that people would uh, bring to games or use on game day and things like that. And it's very emotional. The team themselves went to funerals for all of the 96 that ended up passing away or at or after the Hillsborough disaster. I, I thought it was 69. No, 96. Did I say 69 earlier? You said 69. That's, oh. why, that's why Ryan very distastefully said nice. Oh, well, that would be Ryan. No, 96 passed away. Kenny Daglish, whose uh, own biography I really recommend, he said that he literally lost count uh, on how many funerals he went to after it, but it was mm. their way of dealing with it. Mm. Liverpool... It's classy. And, Liverpool ended up winning the FA Cup that year. They ended up losing the league with the last shot of the season against Arsenal when they scored. Still a season with joy because they were supposed to win the FA Cup since this tragedy happened in it. Then they won the league the next year in 1990 and they haven't done it since, since essentially all of the players quit. And Kenny Daglish left as a manager and they just couldn't do it anymore. So for a lot of these players, it was really traumatic. And for the city, the, the, the one other thing uh, I want to say about this, because it's fascinating, is the Sun newspaper, which is based in London, which is a tabloid. I'm sure you've mm-hmm. heard of it. Yeah. yeah. They essentially ran the next, the following week, they ran big headlines, which said like the truth. And they blamed, every, they blamed everything on the Liverpool fans, on hooligans, on drunks, and so on. Mentioned nothing of the police responsibility or anything like that. The citizens of Liverpool, of course, disliked this. The Sun, at its peak in 1989, had a circulation of about 200,000 uh, in Liverpool. Okay. Today, the circulation in Liverpool is 12,000. And they still refuse to sell it in the city, like a lot of the shops and grocers and whatever, they will not put it out there. Anyway, uh, that's enough. Like Kennedy Gleish's uh, biography is great if anyone's interested in this. Uh, other than that, Chris, do we have anything else? Do we have something coming up this Sunday? Come this Sunday at, uh, what time did we say? 3.30? <laughs> this is why you should sign up for our email list so that we don't have to remember uh, to, to invite you uh, to listen to our... Book to show up for our next 
live episode. But our next live episode is this Sunday, June 14th, 3 p.m. Central Time. So you'll have to figure out what that what local time that is for you. Uh, it's it's a. Uh, I will say this that that 3 p.m. is 2 p.m. Mountain Time. And we are going to be talking about a movie that Ryan has picked. So make of that what you may. On that cheerful note, we hope that you are all safe. Make sure to tune into our live show Sunday, Sunday, 3 p.m. Central. What time is that for you, Thomas? 10. 10, 10 p.m. Finland time. Take care. Good night. Good luck. Light a candle. That's what J-Pub says, right? Through Keep the candle storm. burning. Hold your hand up high And don't be afraid of the dark At the end of a stone There's a golden sky And the sweet silver sound of love